This message is brought to you by DoNotAge.org, the longevity research organisation that's on a mission to extend health span for as many people as possible via products that actually work. Start your journey today at DoNotAge.org and use code LAMA for a 10% discount. That's L-L-A-M-A. I didn't feel like I was aged, but it was out there looking at me like uh, Mount Everest. And so I thought, well, let's go on the climb. Need to do the journey. And so I started base camp and keep going up. Hello and welcome to the Live Long and Master Aging podcast. We call it Llama for short. I'm Peter Bowes. This is where we explore the science and stories behind human longevity. Now, one of the frequent comments that I hear from older people determined to live their lives to the full for as long as possible is that they are simply not prepared to accept that they are old, that they don't feel old and don't want to be treated as if they're old. We're going to dig into that today. My guest is Sandra Feaster. Sandra is a registered nurse and runs the blog T60 Plus, which you'll find at turning60andbeyond.com. It contains a wealth of science-based information about, as she puts it, the incredible journey of ageing. I think we have, Sandra, much in common. Welcome to the Live Long and Master Ageing podcast. Thank you, Peter. It's great to be here. I'm excited to uh, talk to your listeners. Well, thank you so much. Why do you blog about aging. What's your motivation to do this? Well, primarily because I'm aged. I'm uh, turning 65 in a few days. And I decided that that this was a journey that was so important for people of 60 plus And with longevity now, we're going to live into our 90s, 100s. And a lot of people, they look at their, and you finally refer to it as health span, their health span and their lifespan are so different. Um, So if you think about a 60-year-old in the days probably in the 20 years ago, 30 years ago, people retired. They retired at 64, 65 they rested a couple years, and then they died. So they had the financial means to enjoy that period of time. They were in reasonable health, and then they stopped. Now, today, it's so different because we can live to 80, 90, 100, but if we retire at 60, that's another 40 years of life we have to live. And We don't necessarily have the health literacy to do that. We don't know how to take care of ourselves better. We don't have maybe the financial resources to carry us into um, 40 years of additional living. So it's it's actually pivoting the way we approach aging now. Now, you started by saying that you are aged, and you mentioned (laughs) being 60 years old. And then you say, well, we might have another 40 years to go. So I wonder if we need to rethink that term age. I think we do. Um, You know, they say 60 is the new 40 and keep going from there. Um, I don't feel like I'm 65 years old. I go to the gym every day. I'm a personal trainer. I work out well. I eat well. And I feel the same as I did when I was in my 30s and 40s. And um, hopefully, you know, relatively illness-free going forward. And you run your blog with your husband? Yes, I do. He's a physician. I'm a nurse by background. And so we try to use our knowledge in medicine and health to really look at the uh, the business of health and wellness. Today's news, there's so much fake news going on. And what we attempt to do is really dissect what is the real 
information and what's just trends and fads these days. And um, we we consider ourselves pretty health literate, and it's really hard even for us to um, weave through the vast amount of information. Yeah, I love the, by the way, the title, T60 Plus. It's very kind of the shorthand title. It's very yes. futuristic, which is quite nice. Do you find that it's helpful to have a partner who thinks in the same way and shares your beliefs and shares your ambitions? Yeah, I, th- I think so. It's 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 actually kind of funny that my husband... One day I sent him information on becoming a personal trainer because he's a gym rat. I said, here, you should do this. The next thing I know, he called me from work and he said, I just signed you up. You're ready to go be a personal trainer. And I said, are you talking to me? I don't think so. <laughs> and so that led, that led me to that particular journey because I would go to the gym work out with a trainer, um, kind of do zombie training, as I like to say, just say, tell me what to do. I'll push what I need to push, pull what I need to push, pull, and not really know what the difference was. So now I'm starting to learn the difference. And it's the same thing with the health information that's out there. So we really banter off one another of what um, what's real, what's not real, try to dig into the science with things. Um, looking at, if you look at telomeres and just everything that's going on, uh, diet, nutrition, fasting, um, a number of things that are um, are trending these days. So, so let's uh, just, we're going to talk about everything you've just mentioned. And I'm fascinated by this idea of, and it's something I, I share with you, fake news in the health industry and information to people. And of course, fake news has wider connotations these days, which we won't get into. But uh, I'd like to, to delve into that as it applies to longevity science. Let's just talk about you and how you got to this point in your life. And I'm curious, when did aging, let's continue to use the term aging, mm-hmm. when did it hit your radar as something to be concerned about, something to be interested in? I think I was probably um, hitting 50. I think that that tends to be when you get to um, birthdays or events that are um, that are more that more resonate. You know, your 20s, you're 21, and people say, oh, I'm 21 years old, so that's a time when you can go out, at least in the U.S., and drink. Um, so when you're 25, so you get these little life uh, moments, usually at decades. So I think it was 50, and I also went through a bout of cancer treatment, and I was about 30 pounds overweight than I am now, and I just said, you know what, something has to change. And I could see aging on the forefront. I didn't feel like I was aged, but it was out there looking at me like uh, Mount Everest. And so I thought, well, let's go on the climb. Need to do the journey. And so I started base camp and keep going up. So, How did uh, a diagnosis of cancer affect you? I think it gives you pause. Um, I think anyone that has had those um, three words, you have cancer, you stop, you reassess your life, and you think, well, what if, what if this really is it? And, you know, luckily for me, it wasn't, um, you know, went through cancer treatment, went through um, radiation treatment, surgery, and I'm fine today. Everything, scans are fine. And, but it, it gives you that moment of, oh, yeah, maybe, maybe you're up next. You know, you're, somebody's going to hit the eject button and you're out of the pool. So it's um it's just it's very it's very sobering to um 
have somebody say that to you because you're not expecting it. I wasn't expecting it. It's like, oh, okay. You stop and you reset. But it's a major factor now in in how you live your life and and clearly rethinking just daily processes in terms of what you do, what you eat, how you exercise, and maybe just how you approach from a spiritual perspective your life. Yeah. Well, it, it brings your mortality right in front of your face because you don't know what what the next step is. And we should all think of that. I think everyone should go through life knowing that maybe we get hit by a car today. Maybe um, we get cancer. Maybe, you know, something. You get a diagnosis of Alzheimer's. You never know what's what will be right around the corner. And so if we're not prepared, um, you have to be ready to get ready. I forget who said that, but it really is. If you don't eat correctly, if you don't take care of your body, um, lots of lots of things can happen. Lots of things can go wrong. And so I'm always amazed at when I talk to friends, uh, colleagues, relatives, they say, well, I'll do this later. I'll do it when I retire. I'll do it. I'll do it Monday. I'll start the diet next week. And so everything is this distance. Uh, my feeling is do it right now. Stop what you're doing and make that change. Well, that kind of brings me on to my next question, which is going to be, what about the first 50 years before aging really meant something to you? Was that your life that you would maybe put things off or not even think about those everyday sensible things that we ought to be doing? I think you just you just do what you're doing. Um, you know, I was working, I was traveling with work, I'm going out with friends, you're, you know, having dinners out, and you really don't think of mortality at all. Um, you're just caught up in your work life, in your social life, in your family life, and it's somebody else. Um, I remember going to um, my grandparents' funeral, and we had they had a f- fairly large family, and so it was one of the grandparents, one of their siblings died. We'd go to that funeral, the next one, the next one. And then at the end of that generation, the next thing is your parents, then they queue up. And now I'm queued up. I'm the next in the queue. So it's like, hmm, and everyone else behind me and colleagues that I work with now are much younger. And they're like, oh, well, she's the old lady. It won't happen to me. Well, you know, you can't say, yes, it will, because it does. Mm. Um, so it's it's interesting that you you really don't think of that in, until you're until you're in the queue. And what would you say to younger people, people in their, let's say, teens, even 20s, 30s, 40s, who are just getting on with every day, as, as you say, and, and not really thinking about the, the longer term issues? But if only perhaps they did spend a moment thinking about things, that perhaps they could live better lives at that time, younger years, but also, I suppose, as an investment for when they get older, that they don't have to suddenly have this realization that, Yikes, I'm getting old. I need to do something about it. And it's a, a smoother transition. Yeah. It's almost like thinking about the environment. If we think about the environment and we throw trash on the streets, eventually the trash will pile up. But if we're mindful and we use products that maybe can be recycled, that don't have a larger footprint of uh, trash and a carbon footprint, maybe that's a way of having that analogy for someone younger. Because when you're young, you drive 100 miles an hour, you don't think you'll ever be in a car crash. 
And it's hard to put that into context. And I think the younger generation now is more mindful of the um, environment and mindful of what's going on with the earth. So maybe if we reframe to them that their body is like the earth and they have to take care of it early on so it can sustain. And we'll continue this conversation in just a moment. Hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy, and happy? And what if I told you you could get your dream body by simply just listening to a podcast? I'm Josh. And I'm KG, and we're the hosts of the Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast. Listen, we get it. Fitness isn't easy. Carbs, no carbs. Just stop, okay? It doesn't have to be that complicated. And that's why we made this podcast. We get straight to the facts so you can become your best you. So the way to check us out is click the link in the show notes or search Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll see you soon. That's a really good point. And it's, yeah. uh, it's a good analogy. And perhaps one that if you do use the analogy of, of the earth, it is perhaps one that will resonate with uh, a, a millennial generation. Yeah, yeah, because so many of the millennials now, you know, to their credit, they're very involved in doing things and giving back. And they're not as worried, I think, in my generation for the material things, the bigger house, the better car, the clothes, the nights out for dinner, the good wine, and, you know, the at least, you know, my circle of millennials, they're very mindful of what they do. They, st- they still like to go have a good time, but they are more mindful of the, their environment and their surroundings. And, of course, it is always important to, to keep having a good time as you grow Absolutely, and, absolutely. You know, it, again, it's part of the message to get across that some of the perhaps more conservative things that you build into your lives as it gets older doesn't necessarily mean not enjoying life to the full in the way that yeah. you did in your 20s and 30s, maybe not to the extremes, but you can still have fun. And I think we can have fun going out and taking a bike ride, doing things that are enjoyable, that we can do for our bodies, for ourselves, for our minds, and that a lot of the millennials, many of them don't have cars now, which I, I find fascinating. You know, in the um, growing up in in my 30s and 40s, we had several cars. And so it, it's it's a different way of, of, of living, I hope. And I hope it's a... Um, a better way, a more mindful way. I love it when I have a second cousin who's in his um, late 20s, and he's just very mindful and very thoughtful of himself, his body, his relationships, the food that he eats. And I'm just, I'm so refreshed every time I talk with him and know that there's there's hope out there that um, hopefully he plants seeds and those seeds grow and and other people take on that philosophy. But it just it really um, warms my heart when I when I speak with him. It is very useful, isn't it? And it's quite in- very encouraging to talk to like-minded people, and and especially if those other people are not from your generation. That mm-hmm. uh, as, as you've just described, right. that you can you can feed off that enthusiasm. Yeah, and you know they're they're respectful of people with age. It's it's always fun. Our our goddaughter refers to my husband as Daddy Bacchus. So he's the uh, teacher of wine for her and to teach her to enjoy fine wine. It's fine to go out with your friends and have a good time, but really savor. And I think that's 
it's a great analogy for life. You know, we should be the Bacchus of our life and really savor that and learn from it and taste the fruits. So let's talk about what you do now. The, the two aspects of what you do now, the blog, which we'll get on to, but your daily work as a, as a health coach. How did you, from nursing, how did you transition to that? Well, it's, it's always been in my blood. About 25 years ago, I was a founding member of a disease management company. So what we did is we worked with people that are were then, my age now, so they were in their 60s and 70s, and they had... Uh, congestive heart failure, they had diabetes, they had um, pulmonary disease. And what we did with them is the, the, first, the first part of the, um, of the program was really about drug compliance. I mean, that's really how it started. We wanted people to be compliant with what they were taking. It turns out, and as I got to talk to the, the various patients, it was more about their health literacy and understanding why they were taking drugs, what was going to affect their heart. If they went out Sunday night with their families and had pepperoni pizza, why pepperoni and high-sodium uh, foods were not good and why they felt bad on Monday morning they would get up. And it really began my journey of health information for people so that they could make better lifestyle choices. And so that always stuck with me for those 25-plus years when we were developing the program. And it was a, a pyramid of information where we started baseline of here's what a blood pressure means, here was, here's what your blood glucose means, to here's lifestyle changes. It's almost like Maslow's hierarchy. We got up to uh, self-actualization um, from the baseline of air. And so, you know, what people needed to do, why their drugs were important, and how they monitored them. We would send them graphs of their blood pressures, of their heart rate, of their glucose, and they could start to see the impact of the um, the self-care. We called it at the time supported self-care because we were there, nurses to support these people, but it was they had to provide the self-care for themselves. And it was a fascinating journey, and I've always loved helping people understand um, about their health, about their wellness. And so that's when I retired. I had an academic position, um, retired from that, and said, now what do I do? And that's where health coaching and personal training came into being is that it was this was a great opportunity for me to learn and for me to help others learn. And I guess a, a big part of the process when you're dealing with people is is not trying to reinvent the wheel in one fell swoop, to do it all immediately. It's a step-by-step -step process, that education process, whether it's not having too much salt or just doing maybe 30 minutes of exercise a day. It's a gradual process, and then it's a, a process. I always see it as this kind of joining of the dots yes. and seeing where everything intertwines, how your sleep is related to your exercise, your exposure to light in the morning versus the evening, mm -hmm. what you're eating and what time you're eating. It, it's, a, it's a huge sort of labyrinth of, of, of issues, but it's a, you've got to go so I think you'll probably agree with me step by step and quite slowly when you're trying to educate people about that. Yeah, it, it is. It takes time. It takes time for people to process and to change behavior. It takes a good 90 days to really change behavior depending on who you talk to. But little bits and little pieces 
So when someone starts to eat a better diet, if they're trying to lose weight, well, you can't out-exercise a bad diet. And so what people try to do is they come to the gym and they're at the gym for two hours. Some of them are on their phones and marginally working um, or on the treadmill. But they'll try to exercise and exercise and exercise and they get frustrated. But then what they do is they go home and they have large meals. They have meals at night. So helping a little bit of a time to to point out where, you know, what are you eating at night? What's your protein? Looking at macronutrients. Oh, you have a lot of carbohydrates. It's a big spaghetti dinner every night. So really making those fine tunes and start with one meal, one walk, and start slowly and keep moving forward. And all of a sudden you have, um, I had one of my clients this week, just have an incredible aha moment. I feel so much better. I've been working out and doing this for a long time. I just, she just started eating better in the past couple months. And all of those, all those dots connected. I mean, it's like looking at the constellation. All of a sudden, you see Orion up there or the Big Dipper. And it's, it's just a way of, um, of communicating that, of getting people to where they understand. And what kind of people generally come to you? I have people all ages um, from their 20s that want to lose weight and, you know, generally are trying to get and think they, they can lose weight by working out in the gym to people in their 80s that want to maintain their balance, their flexibility and their stability so that they don't fall, that they can live and do the things that they want to do as they reach their hundreds. Because when they're in their 80s, I always tell them, you still have another 20 years to go. So it's a good good opportunity to be strong and uh, have good flexibility and good stability and you, eat well. You like to think high, think long, I suppose. Think long, what you're think predicting. long, yes, yes, yes. Do you have, uh, I usually ask this towards the end of the interview, I'll ask mm-hmm. it now because I think it's a good point. When you think about your own longevity, is that how you focus? You look ahead decades into, instead of years? I do, I do, which which drives my husband a little bit crazy sometimes because I'm. I always like plan A and plan B. So if I have plan A, my plan A is living to 100 Plan B is, what if I get Alzheimer's? What if I have cancer? What if I break a hip? Um, Do I have things in place that I'm strong enough, that I'm physically fit, that I can manage that? So it's really looking at how do you deal with, how do you deal with something that's around the corner that you were that wasn't expected, because the unexpected is likely to happen. So we can expect that the unexpected will occur. And what's interesting is you gave three examples there, cancer, Alzheimer's, or breaking a hip. Mm -hmm. The first two, there are some things that perhaps you can do to to mitigate the the chances of of getting those conditions. But in many cases, there's nothing you can do and things will happen unexpectedly beyond your control, something in our genetics or some external environmental factor that we have no control of. I suppose breaking your hip, well, if you're super careful, maybe you can avoid that. But if you sit in a chair all the time, you won't break a hip. But maybe if you exercise (laughs) and you take care and you listen to your coach and you do things and you you don't try to be overly ambitious and Mm -hmm. you you just do things sensibly. But my point is that 
for all we can do what we think is everything possible to live a long, healthy life, there are occasionally things that will come in and descend on us. Absolutely. And you have to bear that in mind and you have to mm-hmm. consider that as a real possibility yeah. and, and psychologically prepare yourself for that. It's not only psychologically, it's financially, it's a number of things. We, had, we were the primary caregivers for my mother-in-law who lived in our home for a year and a half with 24-7 caregivers. That gets to be very expensive. And that could actually wipe somebody's entire finances out. Um, Another neighbor took care of her husband with Alzheimer's. He stayed at home for seven years, and then he went into a home. If you look at the people with – even with chronic health conditions, because medicine keeps improving and keeps improving – we can live longer with congestive heart failure, with diabetes. If you look at people that don't really take care of their diabetes well, they can lose feet. They can lose circulation. There's lots of things so that that lifespan is very long, but that health span is very short. Let's just reiterate again the difference between lifespan and health span. Health span clearly is the number of years that you are enjoying optimum health. Lifespan is the number of years that your heart is beating and that you are alive, but not necessarily. And in many, many cases, as you've just described, you're not enjoying full health. And I think the more and more people that can understand that distinction, because it is, I mean, to me, very disturbing that um, we often glibly hear about, oh, people are living longer, but Mm -hmm. living longer under what circumstances? And uh, I think keeping people alive for long periods of time with tubes and pharmaceuticals and, and everything that goes with that isn't what we're aspiring to, is it? Yeah. And, you know, just your quality of life when you have that long lifespan without a good health span is is not good. Um, the business that I was in 25 years ago, looking at people trying to get their breath because their hearts were so enlarged and so impaired that it couldn't beat, they could only sit in a chair and watch television. That was about it without even walking to the kitchen or to the restroom and being so severely short of breath. And to me, that is not good quality of life. And to them, you know, the the issue of taking their medications, they would question sometime, why do I want to live like this and take these medications and do these things? And as we got them on a program where got them walking, we got them watching their diet, they started feeling better and their quality of life improved. Uh, So, you know, we we kind of pushed that health span. I wouldn't say we optimized it to 100%, but it was improved. And I think that's what we need to strive to. But if we don't have the health literacy to understand that, that if we're compliant with our medications compliant or eat better plant-based foods. You know, you don't have to be a vegan. You don't have to go over the edge. But, you know, have things that are green. Shop the perimeter of the grocery store. Don't go in the inside. That's that's the, uh, the deep, dark hole in the inside of the grocery store. And read food labels, teaching people how to do that, serving sizes. It's always fascinating. People will take um, a loaf of bread and say, this is organic. Look, look at the label. And you look at the label and you compare it with, um, you know, off-the-shelf white bread. 
the ingredients aren't very different. Mm. And sometimes the calories in the organic bread, uh, air quotes, are uh, much higher. And there's lots of um, things in there that aren't so good for you. So I'm talking about health literacy then, who is to blame, do you think, for the fact that Quite honestly, a lot of people are very illiterate as far as health is concerned. And we are bombarded, and maybe this comes under that fake news title as well, but we are bombarded with information in headlines, websites, newspapers, magazines, wherever you go, about what is good for us. Mm-hmm. You know, a glass of wine every day is, is great. Is on a Monday, but maybe on a Tuesday it's completely different. White bread, brown bread, organic bread. Yeah. It's deeply confusing, isn't it, I think, to the vast majority of people. It is. And I think that if you look at at literacy, people that get their information from one source, be it TV, radio, um, you know, they hear commercials. So commercials for this, get this, do that. Um, And then there's other people that will start to read more and their, their health literacy begins to raise up. And start to question. So if you look at, you know, red wine, red wine was, you know, drink red wine. No, don't drink red wine. And, you know, people say, well, why isn't red wine the same as white wine? I like white wine. And you just don't even know where to go. But I think it takes another level of reading. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean you can have to go to the academic literature which is what I do with my blog. I try to go to the academic literature and tease out what is sound science and what is um, trending uh, diets. You know, do you do a keto diet? Do you do a plant-based diet? I mean, it's just, again, I think basic, good, healthy living, but really listening, um, just like the rest of the fake news out there, taking both sides, looking at the alternatives, the pros and the cons of what you're doing, um, hearing hearing the pros of um, a diet or an exercise program. You know. And I guess the problem for just a lot of people is they simply don't have the time. Well, say they don't have the time. And I can honestly believe it. The, the, yeah. the young mother with two children and a job and a lot to do, delving into that information just isn't practical. And so, therefore, the onus of responsibility must be on others. And I know you're doing your bit, and I try with this podcast. Just to, to, I don't try not to preach anything, but to share the information. But it needs to be as broad an approach as possible, and that needs to include mainstream media outlets. Oh yes, uh, many of which do a reasonable job at this. Many do a very bad job because they simply regurgitate the, the tabloid-friendly headlines mm-hmm. that don't always get to the get to the truth, and sometimes are simply very untruthful. Yeah, and some of the you know so-called experts that have medical degrees, um, advanced degrees, PhDs um, that people see in in the news, they trust them because well, if they're a doctor, they must know. Um, and I like to step back from that and say, what's the science behind that? But where do people get the news? I think that you know you and I both have an obligation to. Um, reach as many people as we can to help help tease that and educate um, others. And then it will also fall back onto um, health policy. If we look at things on a national level, an international level, how depending on how literate we are in our understanding of health, uh, the big um, discussion now is vaccinations. Um, why people, some states are saying you don't have to vaccine. Some states say you do have to vaccinate. 
people really don't know what to do. And, you know, women particularly that are generally the primary uh, providers for health care with their family, they, they almost guide, you know, that the kids have their vaccines or don't. Um, we need to get to the moms to make sure that they understand and they're literate in why why you should or should not, what the decision-making is for vaccines. And I, does it concern you that at, a, at a, a government level, not just in this country, others as well, that the onus rarely seems to be on health care and, and health research? We don't, I don't want to get too much into politics, but mm-hmm. we don't have a state of emergency to try to cure the killer diseases of old age, which affects no. every single person and every single family. Yet it seems to be very low down the agenda. It's very low. And some of it, you know, historically has been financially driven, at least in the United States. I think the UK is a little bit different with the National Health Service. But, um, you know, early on in the 70s and 80s, it was a fee for service. So it was financially advantageous for someone to be sick, because that's how healthcare providers, um, hospitals, that's how they got paid. And no one is willing to, like you said, we could we could go off on a tangent on this, but the willingness to provide good basic health information and knowledge and wellness prevention we're, or protection, we're seeing some of that now in the workplace with um, wellness initiatives that, you know, employees are being incentivized to um, go to the gym. They may provide gym ex- gym uh, memberships, um, health screening, things like that. But um, at least in my observation, having been part of that, the people that showed up for these wellness um, events were the well mm. and not the ones that really needed it because I think that they just didn't want to be found out that they weren't as well as, as they should be. What do you think about the longevity business, the business of longevity that we hear about at clinics in Las Vegas or wherever it happens to be, that I often think there's a hugely distorted view of what longevity is is all about, depending on who you listen to, but the extreme goals that we sometimes hear about that just really honestly mean very little to ordinary people. Oh my gosh, it's just, well, if you think about it, the baby boomers um, probably have the most amount of cash right now. They have a lot of disposable cash. Um, I see that in in the gym. I mean, we have a lot of people that are older that come to the gym, and you know they they're working out with trainers and really trying to um, take care of their bodies. And the the younger folks that come. Um, they don't have the finances. So so I think there is a huge financial incentive for the longevity business that people are, um, and, you know, I hate to say the word exploiting, but they are exploiting it and saying that there's this huge population out here. We can make you look better. If you look at cosmetics, um, every time I open up a magazine, get rid of your wrinkles, have better skin, um, have Botox, do this, we, you know, plump it, uh, all kind of things. And so this is the, you know, the 50 and above uh, population has much more of the wealth and the incentive because they're starting to see the wrinkles appear, the, um, 
issues with longevity um, looming in their face. And so it's huge business. And how do you tease that out? How do you look at, you know, what what is legitimate medicine um, treatments versus the um, – you know the ozone injections for for something. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. It, it's uh, it's hugely difficult. And one kind of very rough rule of thumb, and this is a, a rule to be broken to some extent. But if I hear the phrase anti or anti aging, that is the first alarm bell for me because I don't believe in that. I don't believe that yeah. we can reverse aging. I think we can reverse the physical state of our bodies, but aging per se moves forward, not backwards. That's right. You know, we can all um, sign up and get our uh, cryo bins and have our heads cut off and hope that uh, if they deep freeze us long enough, we can come back and live again. <laughs> but it really, it, it's very unfortunate. And people spend a lot of money and time, discomfort, trying to look younger when if you eat a good diet, if you exercise, um, you get a lot of those same benefits versus having surgeries and going away to clinics and having all kind of things that I don't even want to imagine being done to my body. Let's uh, just return to the real world then. And let me try to just tease out a few nuggets of information from you. The, the, the pillars of longevity that I often talk about, and I usually say that there are sleep and diet and exercise and as, as certain, not necessarily religious, but spirituality and, mm-hmm. and in terms of attention to your, your mindfulness. And I, I could be doing yoga, it could be meditating, whatever it is. But I think that's a, a key component. Yes. So how would you... If you perhaps gave me a chronological list of, of those key factors that you think go towards aging well, what, what are they? I think the first thing is good nutrition. Well, if you go down Maslow's hierarchy, the very first thing is breathe fresh air. So get out in the air. Walk. Be outside. Um, from there, good nutrition. Uh, there is an old proverb that said you uh, dig your grave with your fork and your knife. And that's true, is that what we put in our mouth is going to fuel our body from there, exercise. I mean, we're just going straight up the Maslow hierarchy pyramid. Um, from there, it's spirituality, it's self-actualization, socialization. Um, you know, one of the things that I see with, with older adults is their avid Facebook and Instagram users and that that's nice. It's keeping people socially connected, which they may become socially isolated. And I think that's one of the keys is to always have or try to seek out somebody. I prefer to have a buddy that you go do things with in the fresh air, that you have good, healthy food, go to a farmer's market. But um, if you don't have that or people who were fortunate were in California with nice weather most of the time. And but if you're someplace where it's cold, it's dark. If you know, I'm thinking of having traveled to Finland a couple years ago. It's cold and dark this time of year. Um, can you even get outside your front door? But having the ability to have dialogue with someone on Facebook or FaceTime with your grandchildren or children, that really cuts down the social isolation, which begets a lot of the other poor habits of. Um, of lifestyle. So that would be sort of my pyramid, you know, take care of your 
take care of your body first and then work up to that mindfulness spirituality. Yeah, that's very interesting that the concept of perhaps social media is more important as we get older. I know there's a big drive and I think it's probably one I would agree with to move away from social media as you're younger, that yes. it's far better to be getting out and doing stuff and doing real socialization. But mm-hmm. you're right. I mean, I think in terms of any kind of communication, if that is perhaps the only way or at least a big part of how you can right. get into a dialogue with other people, that must be a good thing for older, older people. Oh, it's great. It's great. And even, you know, with families that are geographically separated, what a wonderful time to be able to see someone on a video screen to FaceTime with them or Skype or whatever uh, modality that you use. Um, it's wonderful. I see some of my, I see one of my aunts who's on FaceTime all the time. And it's just great to see the engagement. And you can almost feel the joy in connecting with other people that as as I see the things that she posts and it's um and she's engaged with her grandchildren so it just it's really it's very refreshing because i know physically she can't be out and about as much as she would like does retirement the concept of retirement mean anything to you i don't think you ever retire i think you pivot what you do you may not be getting a big paycheck or a paycheck at all but i think if you sit in a chair and watch tv all the time that's kind of my idea of what retirement would be that I would never want to do. So my my ideas are that you never retire because you can always learn. They have lots of, um, of the colleges have um, access for seniors to go to. There's books. There's clubs. There's all kind of things that retirement shouldn't mean you lose a paycheck. It should just mean – you lose a paycheck at a period of time and, you know, you you make other financial arrangements for doing the things that you love to do. But if I think if you retire, you die. I tend to agree with you. And I suppose in my mind, it's, it's a period in your life when you can have greater choice. Yes. Maybe you want to use the same word, but it's uh, it's and obviously, you know, you have to be lucky enough to be in that position financially. But mm-hmm. if you are, it does it opens your life up to do new and exciting things. And and I, the emphasis being on new things once you reach a certain age, always strive yeah. to do something different, which I think psychologically is hugely important. And that's it's hugely important because you can do things that are new and interesting. And if you're on a fixed income, that doesn't have to be a limitation to things that you can do inexpensively. There's Again, going out for a walk, finding someone else to walk with, taking your dog for a walk, uh, going to the library. There's so many things that you can do that it may be not the, um, the trip around the world, but it can be a trip to a new museum or something. I think it's just it's, it's how you look at it, how, what your framework is of what is interesting to you. And what motivates you? What motivates you to get out of bed every day? And it's clear in terms of your lifestyle what the motivation there is. But to keep on doing the work that you do, and especially the blog and trying to to share information. And I'm just curious whether you encounter any sort of naysayers who might say, well, 
just live for today. Don't really focus too much on longevity and what's coming in in the future and might be a little skeptical of what you're doing. Yep. Um, I have a lot of people think I'm crazy, but that's okay. I'm glad I'm not the only one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Hopefully there's a whole cadre of us crazy people out there. But I think, first of all, I love to learn. Um, Anything I can learn. Um, I have a friend who sort of snickers and goes, what do you have all these little self-care books for? Don't you read anything interesting? Well, I do read, uh, I do read other novels and other things. <laughs> but, you know, I'm always looking at, you know, what what's trending, what's good in, in nutrition, reading books on – there's some wonderful old books on obesity and fat. And if you go back through the ages – of how restaurants started. Um, they were um, restoratives, actually, and they were broths and things, which was the um, the beginning of a restaurant. But learning different things that then apply to um, how we live now. I mean, if you think of the restorative broths, how many of the um, diets now are the bone broth diets and the things I, so we're, we're going back in time, actually, um, looking at the plague. The plague has lots of similarities to what we experienced with AIDS in the uh, 1980s. So I get up. The first thing I love to do is learn. That gets me out of bed. Um, social interaction gets me out of bed. My dog gets me out of bed to go walking because we don't have a front yard. And <laughs> so that's a necessity. Uh, my husband and I always compare our Fitbit steps, and because I'm the one that's home more than he is, I get many more steps than he does because my dog gets me out walking. So that's what gets me up in the morning. It's the opportunity to breathe fresh air and learn learn new things and interact with um, new and interesting people. And do you have uh, a goal in mind for the blog that you write? Do you have? Uh, do you want to take it somewhere? Do you have a next step that you'd like to achieve with it? Well, the next step is to um, write a book and take some of those posts and put them into something that's a little more readable for someone that wants maybe some quick tips. They want something on fitness or nutrition or or something else they can flip through the book. So, it, you know, it's looking at what's your – what. how do you get to be your own great? You know, whatever great is for you. You want to be great at being a grandparent. You want to be great at being physically fit. So really gearing towards that. And to get more people engaged with the blog and really providing better information so they can get it quickly and know that there's a source of truth out there and try to get away from all the noise. There's so much, um, you know, Freddie uh, Mercury, Radio Gaga out there. <laughs> there's so much, so much noise that we have to deal with between our social media, our friends, our televisions, our magazines, um, and w- what's real and what's um, what should we do. And, you know, again, can be simple to as walking around the perimeter of the grocery store, breathing fresh air and um, enjoying life and smiling. And that is a great way to end this. Sandra, I've really enjoyed this conversation. If anyone wants to, and I look forward to the book, by the way, but anyone wants to follow the work that you do, the website, is that the best place to go to? That's the best place, yeah. So the website is turning60andbeyond.com. Yes. Are you in social media as well? I'm Twitter at, at Sandy Runs because I'm a runner and a triathlete as well. And 
and uh, Facebook is at T60+. Plus. Excellent. Well, I'll put all of those details into the show notes for this episode. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Peter. It's been a pleasure. You can also follow us at Llama Podcast in social media, Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Before we go, a quick reminder that we're available on all of the major podcasting platforms. Apple Podcasts, where you can rate and review us. Thanks, by the way, to everyone who's done that already. Your comments are very much appreciated. You can also find us, and this is fairly new, at Radio Public uh, via the app or at the website, radiopublic.com. Just search for Live Long and Master Aging and click on our logo. Wherever you find us, thank you for listening. FlexBeam is a portable red light therapy device that's now being used by leading athletes, including the Norwegian tennis player Kasper Rud. Whenever you put the FlexBeam on, you feel it starts to work right away. I need something that can help repair all the fibres that I have broken in the surfs. The infrared lights penetrate your skin and makes the muscle tissue recover faster. FlexBeam, I keep it with me all the time. Recharge Health is offering Llama Podcast listeners an $80 discount on the purchase of a FlexBeam device. Go to the website recharge.health and use the code LLAMA at checkout. That's L-L-A-M-A. You'll also find the link in the show notes for this episode.